Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Quite a dramatic weekend in Argentina. It seemed MotoGP might not be able to get a race in after all the severe freight delays saw Friday's action cancelled, but a heroic effort by all the teams and personnel saw a condensed two-day weekend get underway. And the drama didn't stop there. Action throughout the classes, but I think everybody, uh, no matter who you support, left with a smile on their face. As Aprilia and Aleish Spargro took their first ever Grand Prix win in the Premier Class. The recording date is Monday, the 4th of April. My name is Harry Benjamin. Alongside me, Crash Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan. And Keith, well, we have to start, don't we, with Aprilia. An emotional win for them and Aleish in his 200th start. I know, and what a weekend it was as well. You get the feeling that Mark Marcus is waving a wand somewhere, just trying to distribute the points over as wide an area as he can, and, yeah. and maybe, maybe even try to make sure that the planes don't get there. <laughs> because the drama of this week, it just could not be any higher. I defy anybody, whether you're a motorcycle uh, racing fan or not, not to have been excited by this week. It was one of them weekends that you just, it's unique. And yeah... Let's start with the plane, shall we, first? Sorry to back it up just a bit further, because that was a nightmare. Nothing on the Friday. The freight hadn't landed. Can you imagine the panic that was going on all those thousands of miles away from anywhere? I mean, it's the, probably one of the most un, inhospitable, you know, far away destinations you could ever get to. You're not going to find anything you need anywhere near Termas de Rio Hondo. That's for certain. And um, when the planes, everybody, I can't believe it, it turned into a... Everyone watching the tra- the the plane tracker maps. Everyone was just sat on Friday watching where these planes were zigzagging. And of course, that big one broke down and meant half the freight couldn't get across there. And they can only land at Tucumán. They can only land one freighter at a time. It's it's not a, it's a tiny little airport, so you, you've got a tiny little runway as well. So Dorna was sailing pretty close to the wind. They've been close to the wind before, but this one nearly caught them out. Let's hope it all makes it to Cota next week. Now moving on to your original question, yes fantastic statement i should say unbelievable aprilia finally we know the bike's been good this year but to put it together did the fact that it was properly a level playing field the fact that nobody managed to catch up on data after that friday the missing friday did that help them some might say so but uh, i think it was just an outstanding performance from the start having said that did you get the feeling that he was going to throw it away on the last couple of laps because it looked the most nervous, the most tight I've ever seen a professional. 
I'm trying to think, is it 284th Grand Prix that, that Aspargro, Alasia Aspargro has ridden and never won a Grand Prix in any of the classes from one, two, five, two, all the way, right the way through. He's never won a Grand Prix. It was his 200th MotoGP and he won his 200th MotoGP, the first time he's ever won. Riding tight. I think he must have been damn near solid, his muscles, when he was going through those last couple of laps. He'd got it in the bag. It was in the bag. But you never got the feeling it was because it was frightening to watch. You know, like I, I was, absolutely, my nails were, were bent backwards on my hands watching the final few laps. Because, you know, the man behind him, <laughs> he's tough. And he was putting him under pressure all the way. An incredible event, an incredible achievement. And fair dues to all concerned. We ended up with a fantastic Grand Prix. As you're saying, Keith, the guy behind him, I mean, Alicia's words, he said, you know, Jorge's a killer when it comes to a race situation. You know, it doesn't matter about the pace. If you put him in a race and he can see the chance of a win, he's going to go for it. And, uh, you know, we saw Alicia try, was it three times to overtake him? Two times he ran wide. Uh, Jorge Martin was extremely good on the brakes. And then finally, that last pass, he, he made it work. And uh, Martin said, you know, he, he didn't quite have the pace of Alicia, but he was just he was just digging in there and fighting, wasn't he? And pushing, looking for the mistake that you were mentioning, Keith, looked like it might have come. That seemed to be his tactics in those last laps because he just, he'd run out of tyre and everything else. He's pushing as hard as he can. And that was all he could do by the end. He, he just couldn't hold Aleish off any longer. Aleish had looked strong all weekend, hadn't he? He just, uh, you know, from pre-practice, warm-up, he looked good again. Um, and also Mavic Vinales, the bike just seemed to really click with this track, didn't it? And Yep, now we have all six bikes have won races in MotoGP. Aprilia still keep concessions for now. It's not enough to quite move them out of concessions, but it looks like this will be their last year of concessions if they carry on like this. So, um, yeah, a great result. I mean, Aleish, as you say, the only rider on, on the Premier Class grid without a win in any class, and it's taken all of this time. He's 32 years old now, and, uh, you know, he's saying now he hopes he can make up for all the, all the sort of wins that he didn't get earlier in his career in these last sort of year or two. Polis Bargro, brother, stepped out of it, of course, um, on the Repsol Honda, and that was a disaster for them and for him. I mean, if you remember, I talked about Alasius Bargro nearly choking at uh, Rio Hondo, but what about uh, Polis Bargro last, not last, it was the year before, at, uh, in Austria, where he had the thing in the bag, and they held out the pit board, saying plus, plus zero, I think, and he went all defensive and basically ruined his race lead and was beaten by two riders to the line so he's yet to win a moto gp race polis bargro so double you know damnation for him uh, in a right old state he looked as well i don't know whether it's tears of joy or the fact that it was combined with those memories of, of losing out in austria when he should have won it um back then so the Spargro boys what a weekend of emotions Hell of a Sunday night dinner as well. I think that'll be. But uh, well, it would have uh, been meat. It would have only been meat. <laughs> oh, well, steak, <laughs> no of greenery course, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it would have been cause for celebration. Obviously, everyone up and down the paddock, so elated for Aleish and Aprilia. But, and Keith, we've spoken, you know, a lot about Maverick Vinales in the last year, especially, you know, leaving Yamaha and, and the tough times he's gone through. He wasn't quite up there with Aleish, but he seemed very positive after the race. And, and this was good from Vinales you know this is positive signs 100% Harry I'm glad you picked that one up actually because he got beaten up a bit on those early laps and we all expected mm. him to go backwards because Vinales just for some reason or another doesn't have that elbow out fight that you need nowadays 
And I've not worked out, I don't think anybody can work out why that is, because he's an exceptional rider. There's no doubt about it, given the space to be able to, you know, elaborate on that. But he was in a fight to, to, to make manoeuvres. He was having to stick his, his front wheel where he, of late, wouldn't really have wanted to. So I think a good ride from Maverick Vinales, and hopefully that confidence of that fight will move into the next few rounds. And, uh, you know, obviously Aprilia are, are flying now. I mean, it's... Albesiano, Romano Albesiano, the team manager. Well, actually, what is he? Team Tech, isn't he now? I don't know. They've moved tech, him down one from Rivola. Um, but anyway, Albesiano, he's, he's got one of them sort of strange faces anyway, to be frank with you. But he, he looked like, I didn't know whether it, was in, whether it was a grimace or a smile. He didn't look, look like he, he knew whether to burst out crying or or laughing. It was, the, it was the oddest set of facial features I think I've seen from any any experienced team person in my life they were going through massive pain and it's a tiny factory noali it's not like it's a the aprilia factory is not like some of the others it's probably the smallest factory with the the smallest budget really even though the, the parent company seems to have plenty of money but it's a massive achievement and they've had some massive failures in the premier class in the past you remember the cube for god's sake great name for a motorbike but um, not quite where it needed to be well, well, I suppose, Pete, is this a sign that, you know, Aprilia, can they become regular challengers now? I mean, it's been so unpredictable, hasn't it, this this year so far that we've had nine different riders on the podium and we no one has actually managed a double podium yet. So we're still waiting to see, aren't we, who, who is actually going to emerge here. But, I mean, if they can repeat this kind of form, this was consistent pace, as we're saying, throughout the weekend from certainly Alesh and and Ravik was also, as you say, took a big step. He seemed to be very happy with this this, uh, this different setting he found in warm-up at Mandalika. We didn't see it in the race, of course, as much because it was wet. But he said that is now his base setting. He's, he's, he was really confident, he says, after the race, because he believes he's got something to build on now. He said, look, now I'm consistent. I've got... I've got race pace. He, he he thinks he found something like 20 seconds compared to his previous sort of pace that he was he was delivering. Certainly, if you look at Qatar, he was over 25 seconds from the win. He was only six seconds on uh, on Sunday. So he's he's feeling confident there. Um, and yeah, we've got to see now. He goes on to Kota, a track that Vinales likes. But Aprilia have done, sort of, well, Aleish anyway, has really struggled at it, hasn't he, in the past. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do this weekend. Well, a new surface and everything at Kota, that should make some difference as well. I mean, it's going to be a bit different for everybody. But, you know, harping on about what this race win probably means to, to Aprilia and to, to the riders, obviously it lifts everybody mentally, but also it frees off budget usually. Once you've got a situation where you've got a team that's doing something, suddenly budget starts to move around a little bit. You know, suddenly that, that extra buddy, whatever you are asking for, and that extra bit of development and those extra few personnel that you need to get things done, back at the factory that sort of stuff starts to loosen up a little bit um so it makes life a lot easier from a factory team's point of view you know you and you mentioned concessions pete earlier on and quite rightly i i actually had a quick squint of the rules this morning just to make sure that you know because i thought you might be going there um you know really they don't lose concessions until next year effectively they've got to get to six points they've got three points for this race win when they get to six points they lose concessions next year um you know, testing, they lose testing. Test riders, they lose test riders. They only have to have seven engines, not the nine they're allowed this year. They can't make the changes next year that they would make this year. We saw Suzuki that went through those same pains when they got to that point. It's very difficult, you know, to suddenly start the season with what you've got. You know, whereas Aprilia right now, they are in the driving seat. This championship, they lead the world championship. That's worth <laughs> pointing out. We haven't done that yet. 
you know, like Alasius Bargro leads the world title and they've got concessions so they can make changes. So if they've got the wherewithal back at the factory to bring new bits, to, to change stuff around still for the better, there are things that they can still improve that they've got in the pipeline. They're allowed to use them. So, you know, they're in the in the hot seat at the moment regarding all of this. Alasius Bargro has got huge experience. The only thing he never had was a checkered flag in any class. He's got that now. Believe me, that is going to be a monkey off his back like you cannot believe. You know, he's going to be a believer all of a sudden in himself. Not that he hasn't been, but he's kind of an emotional sort of a fellow, isn't he? He's not like a gunslinger kind of motor GP man. He's a he's a family married man, you know, with emotions that you, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve. It's usually all out there for everybody to see and hear. Um, so this is going to make an absolute major difference. And like I say, you know, companion, compatriot, back at base, Mark Marquez, who might make it for Cota, might not make it for Cota. All of this, again, is playing into his hands as every single weekend we have a change of winner. We had the points spread out in the most you know, thinnest way by the time that Marquez comes back. And if he is anything like on any kind of form, which I, I don't believe he will be, but if he is, the championship is still there to be won over this long season, the longest ever. Well, if we stick... also well, sorry, Pete, go on. Just for a second, Harry, but he also mentioned how, you know, there were a lot of, we, we, we also spoke about this, there were a lot of Moto2 riders that didn't want this this bike, weren't there? They were offered the chance to join Aprilia a year or two ago, and they said they'd rather have a better bike. You know, Aleish is very proud of the fact that he's joined, this is sixth year at the team. You know, he, he's put in that work to really help bring the team forward and, and put them into this position. And he said it actually, you know, that was a big motivation for him to see guys that are not even in MotoGP yet turning down his bike. You know, he took that personally. There's sort of a hunger to prove them wrong. And, uh, you know, now they, they're there. They're winners, as, as, as Keith was saying. Now they've done it now. They've they've got that confidence. Vinales was saying exactly what Keith is saying. This will lift the whole team. Vinales, of course, has won nine races with Yamaha. He knows the effect that winning can have just on the group of people in the team. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be walk. They're going to be all a little bit taller, aren't they, when they arrive in Cota? They're all going to be a bit, little bit more, uh, you know, chest out and everything else. They can do it now. You know, it's one thing as Keith says. It's one thing to believe you can do it. It's another thing to actually do it. They have done it. A lot of people would have doubted it. It's it's been a, a long time coming. Let's be honest. But they're there now, and it's going to be really interesting. Interesting to see what this big boost of confidence does. And let's hope that the factory gets behind it more because they have a great chance this year. You know, let's make the most of these concessions because they might not have them next year. There's a bigger queue at uh, Aprilia at the moment than there is at Yamaha, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Quattararo well, couldn't do a thing right at the weekend, could he really, at the end of that day? I mean, it was a poor old weekend again for Yamaha. What what What's going on? What's wrong with them at the moment? They're you 10 know, mile an hour down. And when you've got a certain type of, when you've got a certain type of racetrack, it's the same old thing. When you're on a motorbike with, with talent as, you know, there isn't anybody now in that entire field that hasn't won a Grand Prix now that Alasia's managed to do it. I think you said that a minute ago, Pete. Um, sorry for pinching your words again. <laughs> you know what us riders are like. We like to plagiarise <laughs> and claim it as our own. Um, there isn't a rider now that hasn't won a Grand Prix in MotoGP. They've all won a Grand Prix. So the level of rider is hugely you know, brilliant. Um, so when you're giving away in a straight line and it comes down to the same old thing, you get to the end of the straight, a rider's alongside you up the inside because he's managed to not necessarily even pull out the slipstream when you're six, seven, eight mile an hour down, pulls alongside you, puts himself right where he needs to be in the braking area and you're on the outside and pushed out in the dirty stuff. So you can never, ever, and that can happen lap after lap after lap. 
Quattararo got castigated a little bit by uh, Jack Miller last time out for pushing and shoving. It's all he can do. All you can do is push and shove straight back at somebody if you're on a slower bike. I mean, eight mile an hour don't sound like much, but I think I said it last time out. If someone runs past you fast, that's about eight mile an hour, isn't it? So if somebody runs past you while you're walking and they just run straight past you, you ain't going to catch them. And that's, you know, on a 200 mile an hour plus motorcycle, it makes a massive difference. It positions your competition in a place that you can't counter um, straight away quite often. Yamaha's a brilliant motorbike, turns, stops, does all the bits and pieces that it should do. But when you've got a bike that's faster than you and is also on a par with the hand. I, I think that's the other thing with the Prudia. It looks good on a racetrack, doesn't it? I mean, it was the Ducatis that were all over the place. They were, <laughs> it's quite funny. You know, watch the old cars nowadays, the Formula One, and they go on about porpoising. Uh, you know, like oh, yes. this is a new word to me in, in, in motorsport. Porpoising, what the bloody hell is that? We've got a dolphin on the track. But now, but now we've got the same thing with Ducati. It was, it was, it was proper porpoising in places. And Bangnaya, I've never seen a man so incandescent with rage over the way his bike was going um it's incredible there's a lot of unhappy people <laughs> there's a lot of unhappy people in in up and down this uh paddock at the moment but <laughs> let's i just want to let's just stick with with yamaha for a second it seems we, we went on to them and, and pete you know what fabio was the best yamaha eighth 10.2 seconds off in the end the reigning champion i know we're only three races in but he, he's got to be seething, right? He's going to be, you know, we you've spoken about this a lot as well. You know, contracts, this is the time when people are looking at new contracts. Is he going to be looking around? Surely he will. Well, he said also after Sunday, he said, you know, he's not going to be in any rush. He's going to take his time over this. And you've got to think every time there's a setback like this. And he his big problem, as Keith said, was top speed. And it was sort of compounded by just a really big lack he called ridiculous was the word he used lack of rear grip and he wasn't the only Yamaha Morbidelli said the same thing it seems like something with the the Yamaha it suffers more after the Moto2 race you've got the Dunlop rubber uh, the, the track temperature was different because Quattro had been very fast in the warm-up everything was looking good but then just zero grip in those early laps they get shuffled back and as the track cleaned up the rubber goes down they start to find pace in the second half of the race it's it's a pattern we've seen with with Maverick Vinales a lot during his Yamaha career wasn't it Keith was mentioning how he'd get muscled back at the start of the race it was almost what we saw from from Quattararo um you know he dropped from what 6th to 13th in about two laps Morbidelli went to 20th in the same space of the, you know in that same space of time Morbidelli then had a puncture we should say that was why he he actually uh, retired for people that might be wondering why he why he pitted it wasn't a, a tire failure or anything like that he actually had a puncture so pretty rare that we see that happen but yeah so Quattararo the big problem was this this lack of rear grip and then he had no no top speed again so yeah it's it's similar problems he was obviously really frustrated because Kota another track with a really really long straight You've got to imagine he's going to have the same sort of difficulties again. His only hope or his big hope is he's got to qualify well and try and get away at the front. And so even though he was he was starting on the second row in sixth, yeah, that obviously that sort of tangle with Jack Miller, that that wasn't enough. Even a second row start wasn't enough for him to sort of avoid these sort of early lap problems that they have getting up to speed and getting the grip. So qualifying is going to be massive for him again this weekend. Uh, the other Yamahas, I mean, Darren Binder, where was he? Did another solid job, didn't he? He had some impressive performances again. His teammate Dovi, bizarre problem. He he put his ride height device on the front ride height device, and there's some sort of switch to unlock it, and he forgot to he forgot to flick the switch, so the, the bike stayed locked down. And then when they came back to the pits, apparently 
the trouble is they realize what had happened but you can't sort of release it without the without the bike in motion you know with all the forces of the braking so they were trying to sort of release it and everything else so just a, a you know a real mix up Dobby apologized obviously but I mean it's just I mean the, we've had three wins haven't we and they've all been by European manufacturers we're yet to see a Japanese manufacturer win a race this year and it, it's just the things that are happening in these opening races have been unbelievable really haven't they so yeah, so so not a great race for Yamaha, as you say. And um, yeah, I'm not sure Kota's going to be much better for them, to be honest. The start of a season is always weird, though, isn't it? Because the MotoGP, we get all the weird ones out of the way, don't we? Qatar in the dark, Termas million miles away from anywhere, Mandalika brand spanking you and a track breaking up, Kota track breaking up before and, and a, a sort of an odd track really to be going to. Once we get these ones out of the way, the Yamaha's still a very, very good motorbike. The, that rear grip problem is a big problem because you know if they're five six seven mile an hour down on horsepower um and they can't lay it onto the road to get out of the corner there'll be another three or four mile an hour down by the end of the straight that's just how it works and i think yamaha will be good again at racetracks that it is good at um but they will have given a, a, an advantage away but this season is going to be one of them ones where i don't think you can can bet on anybody at the moment. I mean, got to look at the so-called experts. That were, <laughs> hang on a minute, Aprilia win <laughs> from Jorge I'll just, I'll just check it. I'm just checking our predictions. I don't Alex think any Rins. of us had that one. I mean, I, I think I got Alex Rins in there. Who, who, who did well out of our predictions? Yeah, you're actually right. You did have you had Rins in second, but you do uh, get the point because you had him on the podium at least. So, but apart from that, Pete Quattararo, you had yeah. pole. And then Banyaya and I was well off. I will admit, close nearly, but yeah, that was, that was a good yeah. shout. It was a good yeah. shout. Yeah. But I had Mil- I had Miller and Quattararo, and yeah, but it's it's you can't predict, isn't it? Simple as you just it's cannot just look at I the mean, stats. I mean, that's that's the wonderful thing about MotoGP. I mean, anybody that's you know fresh to this sport will think, bloody hell, you know, this is good. You can. It, I think it's another reason why it goes down so well. I mean, I'm going to ramble across, you know, all over the place here, but why it goes down so well in Southeast Asia? Because Southeast Asians from Japan work your way, you know, from the Far East across to Southeast Asia, they all have like fan clubs for individual riders. And nowadays, any one of those individual riders can win races. So, you know, from a from a, a fan's perspective, it couldn't be much better than it is at the moment. You can't bet on it. You can have a favourite, but... But you can't be sure that uh, it wasn't like the old days where you would have one rider and one team that might dominate throughout the year. You know, I, 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 I made a joke about, you know, Marquez waving his magic wand, but he must be sitting back at home feeling pretty sick and miserable about his injury. But the fact is, is that this championship, hope is still there. There is still the possibility. You know, this long season is nowhere near over in the first three rounds. Um, we've got a long, long, long way to go yet. Um, and the likes of Marquez can still make a comeback. Mm. can't wait uh, <laughs> it's a long long way to go isn't it but uh, i i want to move on if i may to um i just want to sort of see off our top three and, and talk about ducati as well because you mentioned it earlier pete you know i think they say it on the commentary as well jorge martin is a, a pit bull when he com- comes to these he put up a stonking defense and then just didn't quite have it eventually against the spargro um but that's his first points of the year, isn't it, for Martin? And the highest Ducati, I think Bagnaia was the next as well. So what did you make of Martin's performance? We know he's fast anyway. And to get that second place, he seemed elated when he crossed the line as well. I mean, as you're saying, he's been fast in qualifying. 
in all these rounds. It's just that he hasn't put it together in the race. He obviously got taken out by Banyaya in round one, not his fault. He fell in the wet in Mandalika. Again, one of those things. He didn't have a lot of experience. It looked like he hit a bit of a stream across the track, didn't it? So you know, he's been saying, look, because people have... have you know, been in these video calls and everything else, and people have been saying, you know, you're feeling a bit of pressure and things like that. And he said, well, look, you know, I've been fast. It's just that it hasn't all come together yet, but but I'm sure it will. And this is where he sort of put it together. And this is, you know, he can build from this. I mean, he's this is the first dry podium for the GP22. I mean, he can show that on a, on a weekend where, let's say, the favoured guys, the factory riders, had much bigger problems with the setup and trying to make that bike work. You know, we saw Jack Miller never got a setup that worked in the end. Banyaya did get one, but it was too late, wasn't it? He'd already, he couldn't, I mean, it was a great ride. He had the pace of the podium, but starting so far back, he couldn't, uh, you know, he couldn't get those podium points. But Martin was there in qualifying and he was there in the race. He was the guy that, that got that consistency in. His teammate Zarko obviously fell off. He didn't finish. Um, Luca Barini went the opposite way. He was starting next to Martin and, and he faded back. He was another guy who had these these sort of big rear grip problems. So he's the consistent guy, really, as far as Ducati are concerned this weekend. And it's going to be really interesting. Can he continue this? Because we know that, you know, once he gets that confidence, we saw when he won the race last year and, and then when he came back from the injury and he, you know, won again. And the end of the year was really strong for him. And he's got the chance now to really prove to Ducati that, also, as we're saying for next year, for the contracts for next year, and say, look, I'm the guy you, that, that can, you know, lead your project potentially. I want a factory ride. I think he's been pretty clear about that. Bastianini, as we know, also wants one. Um, Bastianini, of course, came into the race leading the world championship, but uh, wasn't able on the GP21, of course, last year's bike. Potentially, that could have been with all the changing conditions. Having last year's bike could have could have worked out for him. It didn't. But there we are. Those two guys, you know, they're two great young riders that Ducati have got. The, it's momentum started with Bastianini. It's now sw- swung across to Martin. It's going to be great to see this sort of battle between them as the season goes on. What confuses me hugely that where there should be an advantage for uh, eight bikes on the grid belonging to Ducati, and yet they were in all at sea over setup throughout all of those eight bikes. And it was a Pramac Ducati. I know it's still a factory Ducati, but it was a Pramac Ducati that got it sorted out the best. Um, I find it slightly difficult to understand why the factory boys are having so much trouble. Jack Miller's not happy. There's no doubt about it. Bang Nia was incandescent. You know, there's something very strange going on there from testing, which looked like it was going to be a Ducati whitewash this year to where we are now after three Grand Prix. It's stunning, a stunning failure by Ducati at the moment. You know, it's, it looked like it was going to be their season. And still, we look back to Casey Stoner for Ducati um, deliverance. It seems very, very odd to me. I don't understand where it's gone wrong. What decision they made when they had to take that cutoff point in Qatar, where the technical regs say this is what you now, you know, once once you've reached that point in Qatar, the first round, this is the bike you run for the rest of the year because they don't have any concessions like Aprilia, obviously. Um, It's a bit of a disaster. Uh, Todd has said in a question on this, just it might might add to the situation. He says, do you feel like Ducati have actually out-teched themselves at the factory level? <laughs> well, well you've, got, you've got to, I mean, like you can never out-tech yourself, I don't think, when it comes to prototype stuff because it's, it's they're a well-thought-out, well-funded, well-backed, you know, team. It's a, it's it's going to be a combination of things that, that, they seem to get themselves down an alley at the moment with this. I mean, it's 
I don't understand it, Pete. I mean, I mean, I genuinely, I'd, I'd, I'd like to be able to say something intelligent on this, and I can't. I know a lot of people will say, "Well, that's par for the course," but it's one of those situations where I can't work out why Ducati are in the state that they're in. You know, and and they either rely on the old bike as they did previously, and now you know Pramac have put together. I know Pramac is a fantastic team, but it is still the independent team compared with the factory red team. Um, and you wouldn't normally see that. You wouldn't normally get that. Now and again, perhaps, but it seems strange to me, and I don't understand it. The one sort of theory that I've heard that, that sort of makes logical sense is that partly because of the lack of testing, it seems like with this this new bike, there's quite a narrow operating window of whether you get it right or wrong. And uh, you know, so you're, what you're seeing is that some guys get it right, and we've seen this at, at certain races this year. And bang, the bike is yeah. know, performing fantastically, and able to fight. I understand that. And if they, I understand that, Pete. But the the problem is, is that that it's integrated. All their teams are integrated. They're all part of the factory, really. Now, you know, if you've got one bike that's working pretty well, that because you've got eight bikes out on the grid, normally that data is shared around, and you can see where the advantages are. Yeah, there was a lack of time maybe in Termas to, to be able to interpret that properly. But they just seem to be so far away from it. I mean, those Ducatis, I've not seen those Ducatis handle like that ever. You know, the, the thing that Bagnaia was on was just, it looked like one of them bikes you got out of the box and no one had tightened the bolts up. <laughs> there seemed to be a different approach to the bumps. As you are saying, they are obviously having big trouble with the with the bumps. Now, in the case of Martin, I think he basically said, You've just got to sort of deal with it. You've, you've got to not change the setup too much and just try and, and, and deal with it as a rider. On the other hand, you had, you had Banyaya who said for warm up, he went to a setting that he used at Kota last year to deal with the bumps. Kota was obviously very bumpy last year. We don't know this year with the resurfacing. And that's kind of what put him back in contention. But then, as you say, Keith, you had Jack Miller and they were never able to find a setup that worked for him. And that was the confusing thing. You also have Marini struggle for rear grip. Jack Miller had no front confidence. It, so there's a, there's a, all these different things going on. Um, and I, I mean, Banyaya said it'd be great to have more winter testing, wouldn't it? But that's not the way it is now with all these races. You know, you get a couple of couple of tests. We know they've got different engines. Is that a factor? Is this, you know, we know that the, the factory team has this sort of hybrid mix of engines. The, the satellite guys have just the, let's say, the standard GP22, don't we? What difference is that making? Who knows? I mean... The, the, are they are these little combinations and differences is that what's what's causing the, the issue here really difficult as you say Keith to, to put your finger on it because they were so strong at the end of last year we've seen all this talk about the front ride height device as well has that you know has the bike been sort of designed with that as an integral part and now we seem to see that that is maybe not being used because it's not it's proving harder to set up than they might have thought it would Harry it's, it's really difficult to know Harry, in answer to your question, Todd, you're right. They have they have outtaken twelve. <laughs> no, yeah, well, that that comes down to it, doesn't it? No one really knows that the, the, there is no answer, and that's why Ducati are probably so frustrated and their riders because there is they can't understand it on paper. We were all saying coming into this season, you know, it, we were a bit worried that actually would they dominate, you know, and and that is certainly not the case. But just to sort of, we could I think we could talk about Ducati for for a fair while, but. I want to just uh, pick up on uh, Marco Bezecchi, uh, the rookie, highest rookie, and he got his best results, uh, which I think went a little bit under the radar, quite naturally, really. But uh, P9 for uh, Bezecchi and a few points scooped up. So uh, a nice run from the Italian in the uh, the VR46, Keith. 
Yeah, I think VR46, I mean, as a team, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because it was the weekend that, that uh, Valentino was racing as well in the cars as well, away. So, you know, VR46 were busy this weekend. But to have a front row start with his brother, of course, you know, Luca Marini on the front row, that was a great situation. Okay, he slid a little bit back. Vizzecki looking good as well. You know, things are happening in that team. It's it's a nice start to the season for me. And once they start putting it together consistently, Vizzecki's a great little rider. It's a it's a funny thing when you transit up to up to the top class. You know, you you can never be really sure how you're going to go. You know, testing is one thing. Nice clean lines. You know, you've got no one else around you and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden, you know, you're doing 210 mile an hour at Termas. It's a fast racetrack. It's got some very quick corners. Pete's already said it's got a few bumps here and there that one or two were a little bit more emphasised this year. Bearing in mind we haven't been there since 2019. You know, track's usually dirty. We're all a day late. You know, it could not get harder than it got in Termas de Rio Ando because, you know, track time is everything. You've got to have track time. Track cleans up. I mean, I'm amazed that it cleaned up as quick as it did, as well as it did. But you go offline and all you got was a rooster tail of, of dust and sand in the air. You know, it's... And it warmed up. I think you you alluded to it a little earlier, Pete. I mean, it went, you know, the track was was right up there temperature-wise, above 40-odd degrees. I think we were nearly 50 degrees by the time of track temperature. It went up from something like 30 for the Moto 3s through the Moto 2s to the, to the Moto GP bikes. Now, that's the warmest it had been all weekend. That throws all your settings out again. You know, you end up, if you're following people and your front tyre gets a bit more heat in it because you've not got enough wind around it, you know, you end up with that slight ballooning of, of the tyre, so you lose grip. Um, you know, interesting combination of tyres. They needed the hard compound in, in, as a front tyre and yet a soft compound as a rear tyre. So you've got the support in the braking areas that you needed because you were leaning on that front tyre as much as you were everywhere. So there were a lot of small technical details you needed to get right without the time to get it right quite often. So you can kind of understand where, again, get back to Todd's question, where you could out-tech yourself. You know, it's it's there's it, it, only so much you can get through in the small amount of time you've got to get through it. But if you, you know, most riders, if if you're if you're up against it, you sort of, you, you know, it's no good trying to protect your homework. You know, someone's going to look over and see see what you, you know, they've got access to all the other um, screens of the of the the, the the Ducati, for instance, camp. You can read other people's data. That will have been there to share. But how you interpret that? is really difficult and again it's all very well interpreting it putting it on your bike then going out and testing it and saying well that's a load of crap and i can't make that work and then you've run out of another session and that 40 minute war they doubled the warm-up on sunday morning and they bloody needed to as well instead of 20 minutes it was 40 minutes because most of those guys would have been chucking settings at it for the warm-up but of course the warm-up is actually in much cooler conditions than it turned out to be for the race so they were in really a no-win situation. Anyone who had a great base setting that worked when they arrived, when they got it out the box eventually on Friday night, very late on Friday night, think of the techs. They were working like crazy on, on Friday night, all night, most of them. Um, if they got it out the box with a decent setting and the rider rode out there and didn't complain too much in his first session, you were likely to be the man that was at the front end of the field. And, and probably worth adding that of all the teams that were affected by these freight delays, it was VR46 were one of the worst affected, weren't they? I think VR46 and Grassini had nothing, apparently, literally nothing. No helmets, wow. no leathers, let alone bikes and pit garages. So 
for them to go from a situation where they stood in, you can see the pictures on on Crash from from the Golden Goose guys, stood in an empty pit box on Friday with with just a bare concrete floor and absolutely zero equipment to to actually having Marini on the front row on Saturday and then Bezecchi riding from, I think he was 20th on the opening lap. He fought all the way back through the ninth. So Bezecchi's looking, you know, he's looking pretty impressive. And someone, anyone that catches the eye, Casey Stoner, and Casey Stoner, when he was in the paddock last year, was saying that he'd seen some things in Bezecchi. Some of the lines he was using in Moto2 a bit different to the others. If you catch Casey Stoner's eye, then, you know, there's there's good reason for it. So, yeah, Bezecchi's, Bezecchi's starting to impress. It was, he wasn't just fast in the race, was he? There was a few sessions this weekend where he, he popped in, I think, into the top five. Um, you know, now the talent's there. So, yeah, one to watch, definitely. Glad you mentioned Golden Goose there. I mean, uh, David Goldman, who is, a, is an old veteran cameraman, difficult geezer if you get on the wrong side of him. And uh, Gareth Harford is his um, cohort as well in that particular company. But didn't we do well this weekend when it came to coverage? Difficult weekend, of course, for the racers. But how about the cameraman that also hadn't warmed up? Did they miss anything? I didn't see it if they didn't. That some stunning shots through turns 13 and 14 that final the amount of incidents at that and dawner camera guys got it all absolutely every single tiny nuance in super slow-mo <clears throat> i don't think i've ever seen we have seen it good with dawner but this time around i mean them camera guys they deserve the first award of the weekend for getting the kind of action that they got brilliant stuff and they don't they hadn't had any practice with fast motorbikes on the on the Friday like they would do normally either. So they were they were starting from a cold start as well. I, I think we should do that every week, actually. Keith's Award of the Weekend and uh, who deserves it each week. And this week goes clearly to the Dawner and all the photographers uh, and the cameramen around the track. It was a, a remarkable uh, just a remarkable weekend, really. I've not quite seen anything like that in sort of any kind of motorsport, especially with, with all of the freight. Um, well, actually, Harry, we could also, as well as, a, the, the only reason they can all get it as well as they do is because hmm. uh, Jano Cefeli of Dromo, who designed the track and revamped the track, but, you know, we've only been up here nine years, I think, haven't we, for, at, at Termas de Rio Hondo. The track is brilliant. It's in the middle of bloody nowhere. I mean, it's the most difficult track to get out, out of all of them. And, and it, it is a brilliant racetrack. It gives you brilliant racing, and it, and the riders love it. You know, it's it's kind of one of them ones. <clears throat> so it's another one of me ranting on about everyone's got to make their way. Have I ever found a Grand Prix track that I don't like yet? <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> Le on, pro- Maybe Le Mans. Maybe Le Surely. <laughs> well, hang on. To we, uh, the rants are great, but we are pushed for time, and I want to just see off before we talk about Moto Two and Moto Three briefly. I want to just touch on Suzuki. I think it's worth doing that best result of the season for them third and fourth rins gets his podium keith you called it although you're a bit bit optimistic he wasn't second he was third um but great run from suzuki and actually while aspargo and martin were fighting up front rins was reeling them in and, and was you know looking to be in the fight if aspargo wasn't able to get past him so uh i think they seemed both encouraged after the race suzuki have finally sort of after the first couple of rounds got the result that they should have already had really i think yeah, Alex Rins has got form here. He obviously likes it around this racetrack. And that, that when you're on a difficult weekend, that's always a bit handy if you've got um, good muscle memory regarding a racetrack. So Rins was, was for me, you know, the Suzuki's looking good. You know, again, it's a, it's a great little motorbike. It's a bit in the Yamaha camp, really, isn't it? It's a great motorbike. Out of all of them, you know, if you jumped on one, you'd probably like to ride the Yamaha and ride the Suzuki as a, as a punter. You know, the Ducati, I think, with all the, 
buttons and push buttons and bits and bobs and all the rest of it. It's a bit like driving a spaceship, so that might be slightly more difficult. Um, but it's a great bike, and I think that it wasn't too difficult to predict that Rins might be there or thereabouts. And he was, he looked good last time out as well. He's he's riding well, Rins, so maybe his time is coming. Um, but it comes back to that concessions thing that I mentioned before, didn't it? When they had concessions, the bike was coming on really, really well. And then when they lost their concessions, they were all at sea for a little while. But uh, this year, they've made a step. It's fast, um, and it's going to need to be. Teammate Mir, of course, was also, well, he was fourth, wasn't he, I think. So he was he was pretty close, but he was saying he got back to that feeling that he had in previous years where he's strong at the end of the race. So he was actually feeling pretty happy as well. And uh, he was another guy who was saying a bit like he said earlier, that really, you know, it's a case of don't panic in these opening rounds. It's a long season. For him, the season really gets going once once the championship moves to Europe. So he he was very satisfied. He's, he's not been on the podium yet. I'd say nine riders on the podium and you haven't got guys like Mia. You know, who'd have thought that? But um, yeah, he was very happy because we saw in Qatar, didn't we, that he didn't have that end of, end of race sort of push that he's had in the past and that the Suzuki's been famous for. And he was sort of, quite perplexed by it wasn't he well he felt he got back to that so it's you know is it a one-off we'll have to see this weekend in Kota but yeah he was certainly a, a much happier guy after the race he was uh not far off the podium either you have a habit Pete of throwing these things out there you just said nine riders on the podium I mean you need to bloody elaborate on that because it's outstanding isn't it it's nine different riders have been on the podium in the first three rounds you know like I'm not going to steal your thunder but I will underline what you just said there that is a massive yeah. thing could this be and one for of me the it's it's, best the, it's the guys GP that are not well, yeah potentially I, mean, I was just gonna say for me it's the guys that are not in that nine that is almost the biggest shock i mean it's nine different riders without joan mir without francesco bagnaia the the title runner-up without mark marquez obviously but there's good reason for that uh, without jack miller i mean so it's nine riders even without multiple race winners being included amongst them it's it's yeah really well we obviously didn't predict it but i don't think many people would have no, we'll have to comb back through uh, the, the comments and see who did get it right. Um, okay, let's park MotoGP there for the minute and uh, have a look at Moto2 and Moto3. Moto2 first, the second win of the season uh, for, for uh, Celestino Vietti, um, who seemed to have really more than enough pace to sort of pull away uh, and clinch the win from uh, Somkyat Chantra and I Agura in third. Uh, Keith, what did you make of uh, the Moto2 action? Because it looked a bit stagnant during the main bulk of it, but it really got good towards the end of those races. I think Moto2 traditionally is a bit that way inclined, isn't it, to, mm. as, a, as a race? But, I mean, Celestino Vietti, yeah, superstar. He's coming on really, really nicely. But for me, it's still Somkiet Chantra. You know, the tie rider, we know he's fast, but it's his consistency that's always been blown out the window. And maybe that win in Mandalika is what he needed to just get over that that self-doubt, that, that extra little bit. You can never really tell from watching on TV whether a rider is, you can tell when they're really riding tight, but when it's just a little bit forced, when it's a little bit strained, you only need to be just to tighten up a little bit in your body and not letting the thing flow properly to cause an accident, to, to, to just put a little bit too much input into a bike and down you go. And Chantra always sort of had that feel about him. But to, to second place again, I think it's a good ride from him, to be honest. And the Indomitsu team, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the Honda Team Asia, to finish second and third on the podium, you know, Ayagura, as you've said, um, that's a great result for Hiro Oyama's team. Um, yeah, I think we've got a great Moto2 
series to come at the moment. Celestino Vietti is looking very, very strong. If he can car carry on this momentum at the minute, um, he's definitely going to be uh, the man to beat. And a great ride, actually, and for I Jake. We, actually, got... I haven't spoken about Jake Dixon. Sorry, I mean, I should have really... You know, Jake Dixon did a great job, a workmanlike job of finishing up in the top five. It was his aim, and he finished in the top five. He looked good all weekend. Um, so Dixon as well is, is, is put himself... This is not an easy class. This is a very, very tight, you know, difficult class. So to be, be in the top 10 is, is an achievement, but uh, Dixon is looking very, very classy at the moment. I was just going to say, you've got to feel sorry for, for Fermin Aldiger, haven't you? The rookie. I mean, a perfect weekend up until the race. And then, well, Keith, I'd like to hear your opinion on that clash, really. But what a shame. I mean, you can see how distraught he was afterwards. I mean, he was well, really fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, the stewards decided no penalty. But, I mean, I have to say, I think there was a percentage um, that, that, that probably should have been a penalty. It would have been harsh, even in the circumstances. I mean, whenever, you know, lines collide in that situation slight mistake you know Aldegar was there and and the coming together I mean that was another one of those spectacular Dorna moments wasn't it I mean the the footage of that particular accident was was absolutely incredible um he was unlucky but how many times have we seen that where lines of where a rider is coming back down to the line when someone has got underneath him you know I always remember was it I think it was Danny Pedrosa wasn't it at um Jerez um, those fast corners. Yes. Was it a ref? And, and, and three of them all went down when, uh, when he came back to the line um, and took everybody out. You shouldn't do it, but of course you always do. You're squaring the corner off. You're trying to you know force the guy behind not to be able to get up the inside. There were some spectacular corners. Those final 13 and 14, like I said before, Dromo, take your hat off, design that final set of corners some spectacular ways around those last couple of corners and the opportunities are always there for a pass. But in that case, you know, I'm glad you put me on the spot with that area and I haven't answered your question, have I really? But, um, <laughs> well, you uh, know, I've got, I've got, I've got a, a better question. Well, I say it's a better question for you, but it, it's with Chantra and, and Ayagura both doing very well on, on the podium. Not that the pressure wasn't already there for Taka Nakagami, but does that suddenly, he's seen them both get podiums, not just at uh, Argentina, but throughout the blinding starts with these their Moto2 campaigns. Is Nakagami going to be extraordinary? I know we've spoken to death nearly at times last year about Nakagami needs to get a win under his belt. He can't keep it together. But time rolls on, same I, questions are asked. I get the feeling he will. I get the feeling that Nakagami will. He was unlucky this weekend. I mean, he tested positive for COVID, so he couldn't get out there to the last minute. I mean, it was a bit of a bit of a cock up right from the start for him. You know, he wasn't riding. Suddenly the, the press sheets came through, the, the entry sheets came through to say that Nakagami was was out for the weekend and all of a sudden he turns up on an aeroplane. You know, it's 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 kind of like he was on the wrong foot straight away. But Nakagami's got pace. It's a bit of a, a bit of an Alicia Spargo situation, isn't it? I mean, he should have won back in Aragon, if you remember when he set that bloody time and all the rest of it, and he went and binned it at the first corner. You know, it, it's one of them ones where I get the feeling his time will come, but um, <laughs> he couldn't be in a more competitive field. You don't have to have much of a you don't have to be more than a, a half a degree off to, to be completely down in the, the you know the back end of the field in MotoGP that nowadays. Good luck to him. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I guess he might take some inspiration from these nine riders that have already been on the podium. You know, it might give these guys that haven't yet been there, they might think, well, hang on a minute, you know, if all these guys can stand on the podium, so can I. And and yeah, Harry, I think you, you've got to imagine that that uh, both the Honda Team Asia riders, it's a question of, of, of when, not if, if they can continue, that is, obviously this front-running podium form, the obvious place for them to go is into a satellite Honda team. So that will be putting pressure on, you know, Alex Marquez and Nakagami. Nakagami, of course, mm. speaking about LH, Nakagami hasn't had a podium yet. So that's the first step for him. You know, he needs to, he's overdue one, as Keith was saying. I mean, it looked like he was favourite for the win, let alone a podium at, at Aragon a couple of years ago and it all went wrong. So, yeah, he, it's got, you've got to imagine seeing the, these young guys coming up and on the podium in Moto2. It's certainly, certainly going to add to his motivation, I guess you could say. And Taka was the best Honda in the end uh, at the end of MotoGP. So uh, once Paul crashed out. Um, okay, Moto3. Well, in Moto2, I should say Vietti extends his title lead as well. Uh, but in Moto3, uh, we'll see off that before we move on to looking at this weekend's action. Sergio Garcia uh, put on a bit of a final daring move on uh, Dennis Foggia to bring victory home ahead of Ayumu Suzaki, uh, who rounded out the podium. Um Meanwhile, Jama Masia and Andrea Minya decided to take each other out uh, with that uh, the knee hit incident that saw them both fly off. Um, but Keith, we'll come to you on this. Yeah, Moto Three. Well, that provided a, a action yet again. It's always good fun watching Moto Three. And and in that final set of corners again that I keep banging yes. on about. You know, it was one of one. <laughs> Garcia's move was just. I jumped out of my chair and screamed in my house here. I mean, like it's, my neighbours must think we're bloody mad, or I'm killing my family, or something. And it, it, it's kind of one of them ones where I literally, it was just the last person I saw make a move like that that stuck was Cal Crutchlow in that corner. Uh, he, he did a brilliant maneuver through there at the, at the time. I mean, MotoGP is even harder. Um, but it's just kind of one of them ones where you get it right and you go, Ooh. and then you get it, if you get it wrong, then you go, oh, Christ. You know, it's it's kind of like it was just a beautiful move. But Garcia is a hard guy. There's no doubt about it. And this, even Foggia was was you know congratulated him on that one. It was it was kind of hard, but very fair and definitely on. So uh, he deserved the win, um, no doubt about it, for that move alone. Yeah, it was a great move, wasn't it? And um, his teammate, Gravara, he'd obviously retired with some sort of technical problem, didn't he? Otherwise, it could have been two of the, the Aspar guys up there on the podium, maybe. And Sasaki fought back from the, the long lap and just uh, snatched the final podium pace. I think in that same corner, Keith, we were all, we were all obviously l- looking at the victory battle. And I think at the same time, he, he made the pass there. It, it's a great corner for those sort of last lap, last gasp passes isn't it and uh, yeah a, a fitting end to a, a pretty thrilling motor three race it looked like garcia might have got away but then it, you know he was reeled in and uh, yeah the last laps were certainly pretty thrilling well that was the uh, the moto three action uh as ever um let's move on i think back, back to moto gp if i may be so bold uh and look ahead to this weekend uh we're back to the circuit of the americas keith last time out bumps was the talk of the town it was all a bit bit too bumpy for MotoGP, but uh, what what can we uh, expect for this time around? Well, you got to feel a bit sorry for Circuit of the Americas because it's like the shifting sands of Texas, really, isn't it? It's um, These bumps appear from, from virtually nowhere. They planed them, if you remember, some time ago. Um, by that, I mean planing the surface off and left this incredible 
um, shot blast dust on the top of it, millions of pounds worth of motorbikes being shot blasted with all this, you know, whatever it is they made the track out of. And it was all up your nose, it was in your eyes, it was everywhere. I mean, I'm amazed there were more complaints about the whole thing back in the day. They just kind of sucked it up and got on with it. Then we had the bumps, you know, some bumps in some horrendous places where you can really come off, uh, come unstuck. They've been out there again, you know, resurfacing bits of the track. Uh, we'll wait and see when we get there. I mean, the Circuit of the Americas, it's a great event, but it always feels like it's hanging on by the skin of its teeth financially. And it has done since it first first opened, effectively. Great venue. Austin is a fantastic city. You know, everything you want, you know, is there, basically. It's, it's, the accommodation is there. The, the outlook is there. The airport is there. The atmosphere is there. You know, it's, it's, it is... It is not like Texas, to be honest. I mean, it's a bit more like a little bit of California in Texas. Um, I, I think everybody loves being in Austin, uh, but the racetrack is just, you know, not quite standing up. It's not, the test of time is not really working too well with it. We'll wait and see um, what happens when we get there. It might, again, but in any adversity, there's always somebody, some team that, grabs a little bit of an advantage in that situation. It's somebody who makes the most of that situation, providing they all remain safe. And that's my biggest concern is that some of those bumps were in really dangerous places. Riders, you know, can find themselves in all sorts of trouble on some very fast parts of the track. And you don't want to be launching over the handlebars um, because someone hasn't flattened the track out properly. The first thing, of course, will be to get the freight there, won't it? It's uh, uh-huh. normally there's a, a bit a bit more of a, a gap, isn't there, <laughs> between uh, it's still quite a big journey, isn't it? Uh, and I know that there were media asking for the flight numbers for the cargo, so I think there'll be a few more sort of flight radar watching this week. I think it's due to arrive Wednesday or Thursday, isn't it? People were saying to come LOS Valletta on the Thursday. You know, is this kind of issue that you've had here? Will this make you rethink sort of some of the calendar and, and, and things like that? And he said, Well, look we had a weekend off between Indonesia and, um, you know, Argentina, what, what more could we do kind of thing that should have been enough, but there is, you know, the back-to-back races, I think certainly, and remember we've got, is it, is it Aragon and then Japan in September as a back-to-back? I mean, that's, that's one of the situations where perhaps in future, Dawn, I might just think a bit more about, you know, should we, should we really put a, a weekend off when you've got such a big gap between the races? So, but yeah, I mean, the, uh, all being well, the freight will arrive on time in uh, in Austin, and we'll we'll uh, we'll have a, a, a good weekend. It, it was a technical fault, though, wasn't it? That took the plane out of there. And I mean, I don't know how many times you've sat on the tarmac where they've had a slight technical fault, and you know, flick the bulb in the cabin trying to get the thing to light back up again. I mean, I, it's kind of one of them jobs, isn't it? When you get a technical fault in an aircraft, you don't sort of ride around it. You kind of have to fix it. And it has to be fixed by a certified person. So I think these planes found themselves stuck in Africa, didn't they? There was the the the, the, mm. the, the sort of refueling point was in Africa. Now, you know, forgive me if I've got this completely wrong, but you know, I don't know what the spare part situation is for for slightly aged freighters. Um, but you know, you look at the, the age of freighters aren't like you know passenger aircraft, which are sort of 15, 20 years old tops. These things will be thirty odd years old. You know, they can be quite old. Even though they're they're airworthy, they are quite old aircraft. Um, even in the biggest firms that, that run, you know, freighters, they're, they're older older aircraft because they're able to run them in that manner. They don't do the same stop start mileage that a passenger plane does. They tend to do 
much longer run. So therefore, they can spread the, the age of the plane out over a greater number of years. Um, all this we've learned in the last weekend because everybody's been looking up the reasons why. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's a situation where I think with Termas, it was harder in that Tucumán is a difficult airport to get at. It was a longer, longer. I think from from Termas, you know, to out out to to Austin is going to be much easier um, from a from a flight distance point of view, from a from a flight plan point of view. Um, but if you're going to get an aircraft that breaks down with half your paddock's kit on it, then that could be a that could be a, an every week occurrence if you're unlucky. Well, I think a lot of uh, not just motorsport, I think sports are very much against it as well, because for the reasons you've said it there, but also, you know, right now, planes can't fly over Russia. There's uh, That's all being delayed as well with freight planes being used up elsewhere. So there's a lot of things going on in the world that are, you know, delaying things quite naturally. So uh, there's a lot of you know, reasons as to, to why these things are occurring. So uh, we'll see how it goes for, uh, for COTA. Um, I think then it brings us on to the worst part of the show and uh, that's your predictions i was just looking up uh just confirming who, who the podium was last year marquez quarterara and banyai that seems alien this season who would have thought those two would be up there but um <laughs> in that case uh pete come on let's get let's put you on the spot first shall we let's have you first this week let's have your top three please well, the first thing is, is Mark going to be there? I mean, he spoke about it. We're in a, well, yes. a repeat of a week ago. He's going to have a medical check. Today is Monday, either today or tomorrow. So there'll be an announcement, you know, again, repeat of last week as to whether he's going to ride or not. It seems that this recovery is a bit quicker. This, it does seem to be a chance that he will. But um, Alberto Puccia said that they won't need to go through, in his opinion, this whole process of trying the motocross bike, trying the track test. If, if the doctor says it's 100%, if Mark feels 100%, I think he'll, he will come back. But we don't know the result of the medical test yet. So I think, you know, putting Marquez to one side, this is obviously Cota being pretty much one of his most successful tracks along with the Saxon ring. So you, you, you pretty much guarantee him to be on the podium, if not the top step of it. But uh, under normal circumstances, let's say, without all these injuries. So, yeah, putting that aside, I mean, I, I think... In many ways, a similar a similar track to last weekend in Argentina, a bit dusty, a bit bumpy. Who knows what the new surface is going to be like? So I'm going to go for Martin first. Oh, I think that he's on form. I think that he's shown he can handle a dirty track with bumps. I think he's got a, a setting that he can he can work with. Same Banyaya for the same reason. I'm going to put faith in him to take this setup that he's found, do better in qualifying, and then maybe put it on the podium. As you said, he was on the podium last year and I'll go for Rins in third former, former winner in Cota on, on good form after this past weekend. So that'll be my top three. So, so don't expect them to be anywhere near the podium this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I just want to say now that I also have Martin for the win. I've always, I've also put that down. Just, just want to get that out of the way first of all, but Keith, come on, we'll, we'll go for you top three next. I'm going to avoid Jorge Martin then in that case. I'm going to go with Bangnaya. Um, oh, what a tricky one. Polis Bargro, Rins. Okay. 
<laughs> How do you predict the unpredictable? That's the ultimate question. <laughs> it isn't is. it? I've got so I, I've got I put Martin and I've then I've gone rogue. I put Mir second, which I don't think is actually that rogue, but I've gone for Mir in second, and then I've I've gone Binder third. I just thought, you know what, the way this season's going, anyone could be on that final step of the podium. I've gone for Binder. Well, Let's we know your top three. Yet, we haven't heard yet what the reason was for that um, KTM blow-up. The last time I saw a, a bike expire in the manner that that did was a Ducati yes. at Termas de Rio Hondo, um, where it blew up. I think it was Yanone going back in the day. Um, so, you know, you're talking about a fast racetrack. My concern would be if they have to turn it down at all. You know, like we, 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 we can discuss that when we get to Cota, I'm sure, but... Um, seeing a KTM go pop, that's the first one I've seen go uh, spectacularly pop like that, that I can remember anyway. Well, it would be certainly one to watch, won't it? But uh, look, well, we'll keep you abreast of everything uh, uh, across Crash.net and for all the latest news and analysis as well um, in the build-up to Kota this weekend. And then as Keith says, we'll be back with you straight after uh, to look back at all the action. Get your questions in, leave them in the comments section, tweet Instagram, Facebook, or we'll just search Crash MotoGP. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts uh, as well. And we shall see you right back here next week. But from myself, Keith and Pete, Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.